Hands of My Podcast is a proud member of Darkcast Network, presenting the brightest of indie podcasts. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo. And this is MW. And I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls to spirit, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Armani Dante Morgan was assaulted by a close female associate in May 2017, and a month later, he vanished. His story of his life afterward has been muffled in news and media because this is a way for his death to be silenced and questioned by the public. This is the true untold story of Armani Dante Morgan. Twenty-seven-year-old Armani Dante Morgan, a gay man who was hunted, assaulted, and then went missing on June 3, 2017. All clues pointed to the night of his disappearance. And the suspects, since then, show no remorse for his murder. His skeletal remains were found only yards from his residence. Armani's life was clumped into the transgender women being murdered in Dallas, Texas at the time. Media clouded who Armani really was. Due to the lack of coverage on Armani's case, according to his aunt Robin Johnson, was identifying as a gay man at the time of his disappearance and death. Though he often dressed as feminine and was known to carry a purse, leading media outlets to identify him as transgender woman. This is the same error when identifying Tiffany Thomas, 38, who was found shot to death in the Dallas, Texas area. Although Armani and Tiffany were presenting as female at the time of their death, police showed them presenting as female. And family members told police numerous times over and over again, both didn't identify as female, and they were bunched in with the transgender murders anyway. The first study of its kind found that people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, or gender non-conforming are nearly four times as likely to be victims of violent crime than those outside such communities. The LGBTQ people and gender minorities are disproportionately affected by crime. The study published in Science Advances, a multidisciplinary journal, had looked at data that has only been collected since 2016, experienced a rate of 71.1 violent victimizations per 1,000 persons a year, compared with 19.2 per 1,000 a year among non-sexual and gender minorities. For example, researchers found that such a population is much more likely to be victimized by someone they know well than a person who is a non-sexual and gender minority. I had the honor of speaking with Robin Johnson, who has been speaking out on the injustice and the undercoverage of her nephew, Armani Dante Morgan.
My name is Robin Johnson, and I'm the aunt of Armani Morgan. Armani uh, was my nephew, and um, the purpose of this podcast today is to put his story out to the public because he hasn't received that part of justice, you know, as of yet uh, since his disappearance and uh, us first learning about his tragic death. So this is uh, my way of helping to get his story out to the public since our local uh, news media and also law enforcement uh, has failed in that in that aspect of, of helping us to get his story out, you know, and I'm just one voice, but I try to spread it as far as I can. I myself also a minority, you know, the statistics of a marginalized community, would there be any justice? and you know, for that matter, being a person of color and also in the LGBTQ community, but it's, it's up there and it's, it's extremely heartbreaking that because you want to be free and you want to be who you are and you're not hurting anyone, right? but yet you're considered a risk or to be feared. And it's just, it's sad. It's all because of their insecurity, their, Mm -hmm. their self-insecurity. Exactly. Exactly. In the beginning of our conversation that he, his pronouns were he, him, and Mm -hmm. you're not sure as to why he was clumped in the category of transgender woman. Mm -hmm. Um, What made that come across as the public identifying him as a transgender woman? How did that, how did that happen? The, like, for instance, the Daily Beast article that Justin Glaw when he did a telephone interview with me, he asked me specifically, did Armani identify as transgender? And I told him specifically, no. He identified to us as gay. And as I, as I mentioned uh, in my notes to you, that before he was completely comfortable enough in his skin to wear female clothing on a regular basis, he would dress as a male during the day and then would dress as a female at, at night. And until he actually became comfortable enough in his skin to dress as a female all day, at that point, he began wearing wigs and dressed as a female on a regular basis. But until then, you know, he would switch it up. And and we even, well, I'll say, you know, say we, I even asked him, you know, was he identifying as transgender or is he identifying gay? He said, I'm gay, you know, which is what he told me you know, personally and directly. Okay. So, you know, and, and there's nothing against people identifying as transgender. Mm-hmm. It's just how people personally choose to identify themselves. Right. And I respect that because that was the reason why I want to ask, because like I said, I don't like looking at these articles. Mm-hmm. This is, this is like playing telephone, like mm-hmm. so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Let's just go and throw that in there because mm-hmm. that's what I thought I heard or whatever. Um, but no, I mean, I want to make sure that I respect Armani and you, mm-hmm. your family. And if he's identified as a gay man, then mm-hmm. I will respect that because I'm in the queer community. So yeah. LGBTQIA+, whichever. So I respect that. And to be a, a, a Black man on top of that, like, exactly. Woo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and people always want to struggle is real. Yeah, people always want to twist the narrative to fit what they want said. Shock, you know? it's, sh- it's for shock value. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what Justin did in his Daily Beast article. He wanted to get more notoriety and want his story to be viewed more by adding transgender into it when he specifically asked me and I said no. Mm-hmm. So he he did it anyway, you know, the way that he wanted to print it. Shock value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are ruthless. Yep. No respect at all. If you've looked at my, my podcast, my videos, I try to keep it real mm-hmm. like you say black and white yes black and white yes because i know these are people's lives this is this is your family this is your loved one that we're talking about and i want to respect that and give the recognition because that's all it needs to be we don't need to be putting all these little buffers and addish, yes. additions that have nothing to do with the narrative that's true they're trying to find a ways to kind of play the trickery of the visual trickery and trying to keep the person or keep people from understanding the, the truthfulness of this story. What I've always um, said and will continue to say is that Armani lived his life the way he lived it. Although he was not a perfect person, it still didn't give anyone the right to take his life. And at this point, you know, there is nothing to hide. You know, we've all done some things in our past that we're not uh, extremely proud of and it's not going to be approved by everyone. But still, again, um, when our life, it's time for our life to be over here on earth, that's nobody's choice but God. And, you know, that is just a, a violation all the way around, all across the board for someone else to take that choice into their hands you know, to, to take his life. So, you know, that part of it, you know, what, what are we going to hide now? He, he's no longer here. Our money was a fun loving and, and joking person. He wanted everyone around him to always be happy, you know, no matter what the, the issues or the circumstances were. And the fact that he was an only child uh, he loved love. He wanted to be loved and he wanted to show everybody love. And to his downfall, he just wanted everybody to be his friend, you know, and wanted everybody around him to like him, you know. But, uh, you know, as we all know in life, everyone around you doesn't always have your best interest, you know, at heart. And uh, to to a fault, you know, that's where he was naive that the people he surrounded himself with, uh, he assumed that they were his friends. And, and, you know, people use the word friend very loosely with what happened to him and the fact that none of these people that so-called themselves his friend would go to Facebook and he was my friend and I loved him. Okay, but where is that love and support? You know, when you haven't gone to authorities to even tell what you know, or to even tell about things leading up to and surrounding uh, his disappearance, you know, because by him being an only child, he would uh, surround himself with a lot of people that we knew about, but we didn't actually know them personally. And, um, but one thing I can say about him is that um, he grew up without his biological father and that hurt him to the core. And, you know, it, it was clear and it was evident that that was always a, a struggle for him. But, you know, uh, prior to my dad passing in 1999, my father was the only father figure 
uh, in, our, in Armani's life. And so once my dad passed, that, you know, that deeply affected Armani. And, you know, for a while he would, that, that caused him to associate himself with people that, that meant him no good. And uh, so that, that led to him being uh, around people at the wrong time, wrong place, everything about it was wrong. You know, but even though we're family and, you know, we say to one another when we see things, you know, are not going in the right direction, you just need to be careful because as teenagers, they're going to do, you know, what they want to do, regardless as to what we say, you know, and, and uh, by him being the only male in the immediate family, grandson, nephew, cousin, he came into the family and it was just like, he was always, even from an infant, he was just rambunctious. I always had a smile on his face, even when he was an infant, you know, even into a toddler, into teenage. He was, and also too, he was a latchkey kid. Uh, his mother still works in home health, so she would have to leave home by a certain time because she was always on public transportation. So that left him to make sure that he get himself off the school on time. And he did it for a while. Then he started uh, hanging around children, even in elementary that wanted to do things their way. But then at that point is when I had to step in. I was like, okay, mom is working. So you got to do what you got to do because she's doing what she needs to do for you. So I had to start getting on to him at that point to make sure he stayed on the straight and narrow when it came to school. He always wanted to be with, with my two daughters. And, uh, you know, I also raised another niece as well and also had a hand in raising our money to a certain extent until he just thought he was just too grown. He was a fun-loving person, loved fashion, loved cooking, you know, and he and he wanted everybody to always come together, especially around the holidays. And when he would enter the room, everything lights up, you know, because he he's the life of the party when he walked in. And that, and that's just who he was. That's just who he was. You gotta learn to grow up real quick. Exactly. Real exactly. Quick. And that, that's a part of how he became to hang out with some of the unsavory characters uh, that he did associate himself with because not only was he a latchkey kid, but quite a few of the other ones were latchkey kids as well. Mm. So, you know, they, they grew up a little faster than, than the other children that had a two-parent household. But um, uh, I remember when Armani was in the seventh grade, uh, he had began to try to skip school in the sixth grade. And I was like, no, we're not having that. And so uh, when he did make it to the seventh grade and decided he wanted to try to hang out with certain people that meant him no good and wanted to try to skip school one day, when he walked into the classroom on many occasions, I was already sitting in a desk. And when the children, when his classmates walked in and they could tell the look on his face was different, you know, they wanted to know, okay, well, who is this person? You know, I already sitting here. And I would sit there throughout the entire class. And then I would also follow him from class to class and sit in the classroom. You know, that's just how much time I had on my hands and, you know, was invested in him getting his education, you know, because I'm a stickler for education. You know, with my two girls, I wanted him to be the same way because uh, education is a key, you know, to your entire life, regardless as to which uh, career path you choose. So when he would walk into that classroom and see me, it just seemed like he said, <sighs> you know, and all the just Oh, went, man. <laughs> all the just went out, you know, but, you know, it, 
it, it, it paid off to get him through middle school. But then once he reached high school age, he was just more determined that he just didn't want to go to school anymore. Uh, once they reach a certain age, they, it's just hard to kind of reel them back in. You know, but then mm-hmm. I also expected for his mom to also, even though she was working, to work with me to work with him versus, you know, always focusing on getting to work on time. It's sometimes, you know, you have to let that take a backseat to make sure that he's on the right path. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, my God. I could just see his face like, oh, <laughs> man. Uh, his classmates noticed that he wasn't as talkative. He wasn't doing the regular class clown things that he would do, you know, <laughs> the days that I would not go. But the days when I would be in this classroom already when he showed up, first period of the day, I'm I'm there. And even <laughs> when he took uh, economics class, you know, this is where baking, you know, skills and teaching them how mm-hmm. to handle money and things, you know, you're at home, you're cooking for yourself. So you should be you know more than willing to show the teacher that you know I, I can take care of myself you know because he had to learn how to cook mm-hmm. you know because he was at home a lot uh by himself prior to his mom you know getting off work and taking public transportation back home you know so you know it wasn't good for him to just be there always eating sandwiches and things so he wanted hot meals and that's why he's learned to cook he Gosh. became a good cook too yeah wow i haven't <laughs> economics they don't even do that anymore like mm-hmm. that was back in the day oh yeah. <laughs> nowadays you know i even had like finance finance management mm-hmm. like marketing mm-hmm. that was in the early early 90s late 80s in elementary school they were teaching us like mm-hmm. mm, you better learn mm-hmm. how to manage your money make sure you get you never starve. And I, I want to go right back to exactly what you what you were mentioning, Robin, is that the best thing to have you can have you can. I think I even heard this from a quote listening to another podcast that I listened to. Oh, I love this. I love this podcast. But they were saying the black community, the Hispanic community, anyone person of color. Mm-hmm. With all the systematic racism that goes on, with all the things that has been taken away from us, they can take our clothes, our house, mm-hmm. our money, mm-hmm. our jobs, you know, but they can never take what we have from education. That's true. And that is the most powerful tool yes. for anyone, but it's That's even true. more powerful resource and tool for people of color. And I was like, mm exactly that's right that that is a really good (laughs) good point and um yeah my gosh my gosh because you know even though I don't have a background in um the legal field I've had to do a lot of research and do a lot of legal things uh on my own because of the lack of assistance uh, through law enforcement. And uh, even though there is a, a DA assigned to Armani's case, whenever I reach out to the medical examiner's office and the, the forensic lab, asking them questions directly, this one particular DA always is the response. You know, the medical examiner never responds directly back to me. This district attorney is always the one to respond. This person will tell me no, which I've heard a million times 
you know, during my fight for justice for Armani. But when you tell me no, that just sets a fire under me even more because you're telling me no lets me know that I'm hitting all the right uh, notes, you know, because when you tell me no, explain to me why you're telling me no. Don't just tell me no and walk away. Right. So I've, I've had to learn a lot. Mm. And, and the sad part, too, is that the same-sex partner had a live-in girlfriend, and he hid his same-sex relationship with our money from his live-in girlfriend. And also really? His, yeah, and also from his family. You know, his what? immediate family didn't have any idea that he was in a same-sex relationship with, with another man. Mm. Was, uh, when Armani passed, he was 27 years old. He was a man. Mm. He was a man. So this, this same sex partner, once his girlfriend, his live-in girlfriend found out about the relationship between her live-in boyfriend and Armani, she was livid. Mm. She called Armani on his home landline phone and uh, they they argued and, and Armani told her, why are you upset with me? Because your man decided that he wanted another man. Uh, you know? I, yeah. No, I never understood that. Go to the source. My mind is blown on how, well, well, I it, I think it has a lot to do with also like the thinking of, well, they were enticing and, and trying to, you mm -hmm. know, lure them into this relationship mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. yes. hold the actions of people accountable mm -hmm. to those people, not yes. to redirect mm -hmm. and find someone else for well, he, my man wouldn't have done that. That was mm -hmm. so-and-so's fault. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and the crazy part too, Jasmine, is that um, from me reading the same-sex partners, uh, police reports were included in the copy of the entire files that I received regarding Armani's case because evidently this initial homicide detective actually pulled all the police reports of the female perpetrator and also of the same sex partners, you know, pulled their police report. So they were included in the copy of the files that I that I did receive for, uh, through the Open Records Act. And um, the same sex partner had choked this female unconscious. And which speaks to the level of physical violence mm -hmm. that he inflicted on upon our mind. Because at one point, this same-sex partner, uh, once Armani just informed him that he no longer wanted to be in this relationship, then the same-sex partner became uh, increasingly physically violent, you know, toward Armani. I guess he was just going to beat him into submission and make him stay, you know, with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, this same-sex partner had um, pistol-whipped Armani uh, at one point in uh, had a gash over the top of one of his eyes. And my youngest daughter took him to the emergency room for that. Mm. And then it was a, another uh, occasion where uh, they were in a physical altercation and Armani was, you know, trying to defend himself, but the, the same-sex partner being a little bit taller and not that much physically larger than Armani, but, you know, had a little bit more muscle. 
that that altercation was was brutal, you know, and I might have still needed to go to the uh, ER, you know, to receive medical attention. So that speaks to his level of violence and his capability and involvement. And as I said, all three of these perpetrators knew each other well, and they all had a vendetta against our money, and they all had physically assaulted him at some point and then simultaneously and just you know one right behind the other one are on the same day and it's just like come on yeah i mean the the vault like you said the volume of violence had, mm -hmm. it constantly after every type of occurrence it increases it increases mm -hmm. they get bolder they get more mm -hmm. riskier in their in their behavior mm -hmm. to the point that they break that line between uh assault Mm -hmm. and taking someone's life mm -hmm. it's thin especially mm -hmm. if you've been doing it for a while and it's, and it's been allowed constantly exactly. and then the person who's a victim is like being ignored about this something's happening here i'm mm -hmm. i need help and they're like mm, you're just overreacting or or or, or just kind of completely ignoring him on the report or whatever or telling the person oh the victim is lying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and it's that's how it happens. There is such a thin line of, of how far can someone go in pushing it and pushing it. And then the victim is like, this might be my last opportunity to to, to get the help that I need. And mm -hmm. nobody is even batting an eye. Exactly. And that's the like the the part that really breaks my heart even more. Mm -hmm. That you see the symptoms, you see the escalation of violence. Mm-hmm. And it's like a make it or break it that millisecond of their that person's life yes. that you could have saved them from that mm -hmm. that moment. And I I've had that moment happen in my life. I was in a very domestic violence relationship, mm -hmm. and I could see my life between uh, being assaulted in the hospital in a coma or being buried six feet under. Wow. It was like that, 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 that it was yeah. a very thin area between save me or I'm going to yeah. die. Yes. Yes. That's wow. the most scary, fearful mm -hmm. moment in someone's life in it. Oh my God. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And uh, Armani, a fear, he feared his uh, same sex partner. Uh, he began to stay home indoors, you know, more and not going out. You know, and, and my daughter noticed it and she would ask him, what's what's going on? What's wrong? And he said, I just don't want to. He said, I'm just tired of, 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 of being assaulted. You know, I'm just, I'm just tired of fighting. You know, he said, I'm, I'm having to fight everybody. And uh, and like I said, too, uh, I know that things have to be proven in order for his case to get the justice, you know, but if it's not investigated and looked into and the uh eyes dotted dotted and the t's crossed then we'll we'll never get to that next step you know and uh and just like i was telling uh the the homicide detective you you took an oath to protect and serve at what point are you going to start doing it mm -hmm. and uh when we would uh speak to the medical examiner the first thing she would always say uh, well, there were no striations on his bones to indicate that the machete was used. There was no bullet marks. I said, okay, but you only have six remains. The fact that his other entire skeletal system is missing. 
how how you make a determination mm. as to what was and wasn't done. The fact that he actually choked a woman unconscious. How do you know he wasn't choked unconscious and killed and, and laid under this underneath this tree? Exactly. You can't rule it out. There's always a pattern. There's mm -hmm. a pattern to, to mm -hmm. yeah. Oof. <laughs> Telling mm. you, mm. it's a lot. It's a lot to digest. And you and your family and the and Armani's mother and mm -hmm. have been carrying this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Armani's death was a mysterious death. And I told him there's nothing mysterious about his death. The fact that he was relentlessly pursued by one of the three perpetrators, there's nothing mysterious about it because this person tracked him like an animal, you know, and this was, uh, the female was one of the three perpetrators and then there were two males. Mm. Um, and this this female uh, and Armani got into a disagreement about money. And um, just to explain it, because like I said, I have nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. um, what she would do was solicit Armani's help every month for more than two to three years with selling a portion of her food stamps uh, in order in exchange for money to, to, to purchase drugs. Mm. And um, so she knew that Armani knew a lot of people. And not only that, the same sex partner that Armani was involved with actually called himself a low level drug dealer. So that, that was her connection to always be able to, to obtain these drugs. So if she was if she would ever run out of money and wouldn't have the money to purchase it, she would use our money and his relationship with his same sex partner in order for her to also obtain drugs until the following month to where she would replenish her food stamps. And then she would still get our money to help her sell a portion of them in exchange for money in order to buy drugs. So this was a, a, a drug deal. I call it a drug deal gone bad. Mm. At one point, because according to my youngest daughter, who is a year older than Armani, um, she's uh, she knew Armani's comings and goings and his whereabouts more than his mom. You know, and, and uh, my sister Armani's mom would say to me, he would tell uh, tell your daughter things that he wouldn't tell me. I said, but, you know, in a way that that's beneficial because at least if something is going on with him that he's not comfortable enough to share it with you, at least he's comfortable enough to share it with a relative that he's close to. And uh, he would call my daughter uh, oftentimes uh, to come and get him uh, when he's gotten into a physical altercation with someone. And at least two different occasions, uh, my daughter had to go to where he called her to and take him to the local, uh, to the closest uh, emergency room, you know, because he had, I mean, the, the physical altercations were just that violent, you know, and Armani was a tall, slender person as he continued to grow. But one thing about him, you couldn't underestimate him with being able to protect himself and defend himself. That That's one thing a lot of people always underestimated about him until that physical altercation got underway and they were like, okay, well, wait a minute. You know, he's a little bit stronger than what I, you know, thought. And they, they thought they would be able to overtake him and just take advantage of him. But once that altercation started, it was a whole nother situation, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so this, this, this female um, 
and Armani fell out about that food stamp exchange for money. And what exactly happened with it, none of us will will know exact, you know, details of what happened. But she alleged that Armani stole her food stamps and, you know, did whatever with it. But eventually she told the truth to law enforcement because she knew that that story wasn't going to stand. OK, you have a four digit pin code to this to this car for your benefits every month. How did Armani obtain it if you say he stole so eventually she said, well, I did uh, give it to him one time for him to go to the store. Okay, but no, just tell the truth. You know, you were selling your food stamps in exchange for money to buy drugs, you know, and eventually she broke down and told that part of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just unfortunately, law enforcement just refused to include that in their reports, you know, that she, you know, admitted to this is the problem. And so the week of May... 22nd, 2017 was the first um, violent attack against him by her and her two teenage sons. And each time she would have sought her money, she always had somebody helping her because she couldn't handle him alone. And she's a much bigger person and uh, physically. And so the second instance when she violently assaulted our money was the same day that a gunshot pierced through the living room window of Armani and his mom's apartment while Armani was laying on the sofa watching TV. Normally he would sit straight up and watch TV, but thank God this particular day he was laying down on the sofa because had he been sitting straight up, that bullet would have went straight through his head. And normally my daughter um, would, would frequent Armani and his mom's apartment and hang out with Armani there and sit on the sofa watching TV or doing whatever. And uh, this particular day she was at work and uh, he was laying on the sofa watching TV. But prior to that, this female tried to lure him outside the day before and also on the day that the gun bullet pierced through the living room window. So the fact that she couldn't lure him outside, I guess she said, well, OK, well, I'll bring him outside. Then at this point, gun bullet pierced through the, through the living room window. Now, mind you, no security surveillance cameras in the apartment complex captured the shooting incident. Nor would any of the bystanders that were outside at the time of the shooting, nor were they willing to identify this person. Uh, because this female once lived in the same apartment complex for many years prior to her moving to another part of town. Mm -hmm. So this person still had acquaintances that were not willing to uh, turn her in to, to law enforcement you know, at the time of the shooting. So as Armani's mom is going to the leasing office to view sur surveillance cameras with the leasing manager is when Armani was attacked right outside his front door by this particular female and her young daughter. And a, a brief uh, cell phone video of this altercation, uh, they posted it on Facebook. So I was able to actually obtain that brief cell phone footage Mm. And 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 give it to uh, the initial lead homicide detective, but he did nothing with it. Mm. Mm -mm. He did nothing with it. And so three days after the shooting and the the second violent attack, June the third, is when this female again relentlessly pursued him. She sought him out. You know, she would know his whereabouts and who he would hang out with and where he would normally go. So she was checking all of these places and she eventually tracked him down. 
And so her and another guy, uh, which is her co-perpetrator, uh, they cornered Armani and they violently assaulted him at this point. This particular day, it was it was brutal. It was it was truly brutal. And um, so after that altercation, Armani did go and visit two of his female friends. And I can truly call these two ladies friends, you know, because they have participated, cooperated with law enforcement at my request, explaining what happened the day that Armani came to them, which was the last day he was last seen alive. He was bloody, you know, when he went to them and explained to them who had violently assaulted him. And uh, once he left them, which was in the same apartment complex where Armani lived, he was never seen alive again. So don't know what happened to him in which direction he went in once he left that apartment complex on June the 3rd. But that was the last time he was he was seen alive, you know, at that point. But then also, too, the guy that he was in a same-sex relationship with was very violent, physically violent with Armani as well. So the same-sex uh, partner, the male uh, co-perpetrator, and this female perpetrator, all three of them knew each other very well. And they all had it out for our money. Our family, and with people talking from the streets, all three of these people had something to do with him uh, being deceased. Hmm. You know, don't know the full details of it, mm. but 90% of what people in the streets would tell me, and I would go to law enforcement with it, mm. turns out it was true. Mm, mm. Turns out it was true. Anything that I would tell uh, the homicide detective, okay, well, will you look into this and will you look into that? Turns out it was true. Turns out it was true. And um, so when the law enforcement went to interview this one female that told me she would be willing to talk to law enforcement to tell them about uh, an incident where Armani and the female perpetrator and this other female uh, were all in a car together and went to visit the same-sex partner in order to obtain drugs. But this female perpetrator denied it. She denied it, denied it, denied it, you know. And But the other female gave the details of that day as to what happened. And uh, come to find out, once the, the homicide detective looked at, actually looked into it, everything that I was told was true. Mm. And, and so that, that's what angers me so much is that when I would get this information tidbits from people in the street and I was like, okay, well, why wouldn't you be willing to go and let the detective hear it from you versus you telling me and I'm having to go and tell. That's third hand information, mm -hmm. you know, but you all get on Facebook and he was my friend and I loved our money. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, okay. So, I've never understood that. I've never mm -hmm. understood that. And that's probably the reason why if I have friends, these are friends that I've known for 20 something, 30 something since elementary, high school, back in the day, whatever. Though, these and you today, can truly call them a friend. You yeah, can truly say that they are your friend. These today friends? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Today friends or, or fake friends? I don't, I don't understand. There's, there's no genuinity compassion for each other because exactly. of how they are treated like treat if you want to be respected if you mm -hmm. want to if you want to have a genuine friendship with people and if you want to have you know a support group and a community or whatever stop acting like a damn fool exactly like <laughs> exactly you know 
And, and that's the question that I've posed to each and every one of these people, except for the two young ladies who have come forward and actually spoken with the homicide detective. Mm. Back in December of 2019, uh, entertainment company, should I say, traveled from the UK to Texas to do a scissor reel with Armani's mom, myself, and my youngest daughter regarding Armani's story. But unfortunately, it never was solidified. It never uh, went anywhere. It fell through. Uh, but hmm. this, these two young ladies participated in the scissor reel. They were willing to, to be filmed, given their story, you know, uh, about the day that Armani came to them and it was the last day he was seen alive. So we, we did film a scissor reel, but once I did have an attorney to look over the contract, because I kept asking for the contract prior to them landing here in Texas to even do the scissor reel. And uh, the scissor reel, they were going to take back to their company and they were going to have a bidding war uh, with other uh, companies or business uh, people or entrepreneurs to see who would the, who would be the highest bidder to fund the documentary. So once the mm. contract, I kept asking for the contract, oh, we'll do it, we'll do it. So they flew into town. We all went to dinner the same day they got here. And I kept asking for the contract at the dinner table. Oh, we'll get it, we'll get it. So we even started filming, you know, uh, the following day. The hardest part was getting Armani's mom to participate because she didn't want to participate at all. So my daughter and I were finally able to get her to agree to it. Although they had flew in and wasn't sure that Armani's mom was going to be willing to participate. So once we were able to talk her into doing it and they started filming, and then uh, once they finished filming, then they present us with this contract. But the, I said, well, let me let my lawyer look over the contract before we sign anything. Now, <laughs> looking at TV and from personal experiences, I know better than to sign my name on something that I'm not fully aware of what the fine print actually says. I had a lawyer uh, to look at the, the contract and the lawyer said, well, what the contract says in fine print is that if you and your family signs off on this contract, then you guys are no longer able to tell Armani's story uh, because you're providing them with all of the information. I was coming with the crime scene photos, which they would have never been able to get their hands on had it not been for me. And I took them to the actual location uh, you know, where Armani's skull was found laying on the side of the road mm. and took him to the tree where his six of his bones were the only bones left, you know, mm. after seven weeks. And I went back to the to the entertainment company and told him, I said, well, my lawyer's advice is for us not to sign this contract the way it's worded now, because you guys want to take away our right. We will no longer have the right to Armani's story if we sign this contract. Well, let's do negotiations, let's try. I said, well, the only negotiation there is is for you to remove that part of the contract, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because we're not gonna give you the right to his story and we're telling it. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, you know, one missed opportunity, but I consider the main missed opportunity is for uh, Dallas uh, police and their homicide division to not, actively pursue and investigate Armani's disappearance and, and his murder simply due to 
the initial homicide detective's bias, his discrimination, and his predetermined theory about Armani's manner of death. Because he sat across the conference room table in the first meeting with Armani, mom and I immediately following Armani's graveside ceremony to look us in the face to tell us that he believed Armani OD'd in a field in that vacant field, which was a few feet away from the residence Armani shared with his mom. And I'm like, you've had this case all of 17 days. So this is your investigation you you investigate in 17 days and can tell us from skeletonized bones that he went and laid up against a tree in a vacant field and, and decided to od and die when he was at home alone by himself countless number of days if he wanted to commit suicide or od he could have done it at home and and, and you know that's his assumption mm. you know mm. okay. and uh when i challenged him on it and kept coming back with facts, just kept coming back with facts. And one thing about me, post office taught me, if it's not in black and white, it didn't happen. So <laughs> I would always text or email him. These were our communications. I'm not going to do a phone call when it's your word against mine. We're going to put it to where when you tell me something and then you go back on it or you say it didn't happen, I have it in a text message or I have it in an email. Yeah. The fact that this female perpetrator relentlessly pursued him and she would always have the aid of someone else, whether it's one person or two or three people to help her to violently assault our money. And then we have the fact that this same sex partner always brandished a machete in order to instill fear into people that he wanted to have be afraid of him. And then you have this other co-perpetrator that was aiding the female perpetrator to violently assault our money. Then you say that he OD'd in a field. So you have all of these people pursuing him, but then you say to his mother and I that he OD'd in a field. Very disrespectful. Well, no, that wasn't my theory. I said, well, no, I have it in the text message that you that you admitted this was your theory. Mm-hmm. You know, so that to me, was his his way out. And it negatively impacted Armani's investigation from the outset going forward. You know, they didn't want to investigate because Armani had a prior arrest history. You know, whether he was involved with this female perpetrator and they would go in and shoplift and then they would sell the things in order to get drugs. Or if Armani was uh, arrested for uh, male prostitution, you know, he would do that from time to time to, to get his money for his drug habit. Like I said, I'm not ashamed to admit the things that he did prior to his sudden disappearance. But again, it still doesn't give anyone the right to take his life. And as I've said to authorities, if you have a problem with him, go to law enforcement. Let them deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you pursue a case enough, Eventually, if what you're saying is factual and can be proven, then this person is going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law based upon the evidence. All I can smell is BS from all the way over here in regards to what they were saying, how they were saying it, how they were disrespecting you across Mm -hmm. the table, just throwing Mm -hmm. nothing but lies, excuses, just excuse after excuse. Like this is and you're right. Like the only way you can confirm this information is to do this. Damn investigation. Exactly. It's a and, it's like a full circle. You you want to know something? 
You got to mm-hmm. do the you got to do the the research on it. You got to mm-hmm. do the paperwork on it. And I think that was one of the things they they didn't want to do all of that. They didn't see the worth in that. And it's like, exactly. And then on top because of that, because he was to, a gay black male from an impoverished neighborhood raised by a financially challenged single mother. Right. They didn't and see And because it. of the neighborhood our money lived in. Mhm. Mhm. They mm-hmm. didn't see it uh, as in, as important or beneficial or, or impertinent mm-hmm. uh, on the desk as a priority. And I think that's BS. I kept asking about this gun bullet um, where this female perpetrator shot into the apartment. Mind you, I totally understand that you have to prove it. And the fact that there were, that's no footage of her actually doing the shooting, but she called him two days the day before and the day of the shooting, trying to lure him out of the house in order to, to violently assault him again. So once she couldn't lure him out of the house, then the gun bullet pierced through the window. That brought him outside because she had been trying to do it for two days. And then once he comes out, then there she is. She's automatically, immediately on the scene to violently assault him. Okay. Yeah, I know we can't prove that she actually shot into the apartment, but this gun bullet that landed on the dining room table inside Armani and his mom's apartment. I kept asking about this bullet. Lead homicide detective kept telling me, I will look into the gun bullet. I'll look into the gun bullet. At first, he kept telling me there was no gun bullet recovered. And I was like, no. I said, because two detective, uniformed detectives retrieved the bullet and they took photos inside the apartment of where the window was shattered, where the gun bullet made entrance. And I asked about this gun bullet for two years. Still nothing. I contact, I reached out to the police chief at the time, uh, who was Renee Hall, female police chief in Dallas. Reached out to her assistant to request a face-to-face meeting with the chief of police to express my concerns about Armani's case not being actively pursued and investigated. This uh, executive assistant told me there was a chain of command that I would need to follow before I was able to obtain a meeting uh, with the chief of police. This went on for months and they kept continuing to put high ranking police officers in front of me. And each time they would do nothing about what I was saying. This detective is biased. He's not actively pursuing the case. Anytime I asked about something, I'm told they would get back with me. Nothing ever happens. I said, and you know, his case is constantly being pushed aside at the the expense of other cases. We would meet with the homicide detective and he would be watching his watch to go and take care of another case. Or he would tell us that his newborn baby didn't have a babysitter. He would need to get to try to find a babysitter before he could meet. I was just like, this is just ridiculous. Hmm. And, you know, this went on for a while until I was, went up that chain of command and was finally able to get a meeting, face-to-face meeting with the assistant chief of police, who was a male. And he sat down with myself and my youngest daughter on June the 17th, 2019, two years later. Mm. And uh, I was telling him, I said, uh, we're just frustrated. Everything that we bring to the detective he says he's going to look into it. Nothing ever happens. I can understand they're doing things behind the scene that they're not going to tell us everything that's going on. I totally get that. But when I ask you, have you looked into a certain tip that I've given you or certain information and you tell me you're going to look into it? OK, if you've looked into it, say, yes, I've looked into it and I'm working on it and I can't give you any information or details. I'll accept that. 
but you keep telling me you're going to look into it. You're going to look into it and you never do. And then you're always giving me the excuse about your baby. You don't have a babysitter and you just, this is, it's not working for me. Mm-mm. So the assistant chief of police removed that uh, detective from the case and assigned it to a cold case detective. Oh, and he was no better. Mm. He did absolutely nothing. Only thing he did regarding Armani's case was to issue a search warrant for a specific telephone number that Armani had used prior to his sudden disappearance. And um, what that phone number we were hoping to reveal was conversations uh, between Armani and his same-sex partner. Because the same-sex partner was physically violent with our money once our money informed him that he no longer wanted to be in the same-sex relationship. Hmm. So in between this female perpetrator assaulting him and then the same-sex partner violently assaulting him and then the female perpetrator getting the co-perpetrator to help her, you know, they were all assaulting him, you know, simultaneously. Who knows what day all of these assaults happened? The ones that we didn't have firsthand information about. The uh, same-sex partner was arrested in August of 2017 on a a different assault case, uh, unrelated assault case. And the homicide, the initial homicide detective was able to interview the same-sex partner while he was in uh, county jail to ask him directly about his relationship with Armani. He denied it that he was in a same-sex relationship with Armani. He said to the detective, well, Armani was helping me to sell drugs and made away with some of my drugs. And I was just like, oh, they just accusing him of any and everything. I said, I'm not going to deny it. I said, but you would have to give me some proof, you know, that these that he's doing all of these things you're saying he's doing. And as I say, he's not perfect, but everything that everybody alleged that he did mighty strangely you would always want to be in his presence but you're accusing him of all of these things you know now that he's no longer here to refute it and defend himself exactly i was just about to say that like he is not here to stand up and protect himself from using being the scapegoat pretty much Mm -hmm. in regards Mm -hmm. to all their actions and Mm -hmm. oh my god and another key thing I want to point out is that um, June the 3rd was the last day Armani was last seen alive. Ironically, the female perpetrator, the following day, June the 4th, 2017, files a police report alleging that Armani violently assaulted her on June the 3rd, trying to cover herself. Mm. You know, I looked into consequences of a person filing a false police report. And was never able to get any information, legal information, as to you know whether this can be pursued or not. And uh, what Dallas police told me was that people lie to the police all the time, and that I needed to contact the district attorney. I contacted the district attorney. A district district attorney told me there was nothing that they could do about it. I need to go to the Dallas police. So I was like, okay, so you're telling me to communicate with them about it. They're telling me to communicate with you about it. So then what do I do? Because she did file a a false police report and and this was her way of trying to, you know, throw the police off of her track, you know, because of what went on the day before. So I wasn't able to get anything done about that. But what I can say is that the assistant chief of police did 
verbally agree to submit that gun bullet for forensic testing. And my hope is that uh, this female perpetrator's biological DNA can be extracted from that bullet, which will link her to the shooting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know. But the sad thing about that, though, uh, Jasmine, is the fact that I was told two weeks ago that the statute of limitation on that deadly conduct, conduct uh, by firearm shooting into Armani's in his mom's apartment, the statute of limitation has expired on it, and we cannot pursue it any longer. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little flustered in regards to that because I was like. Don't tell me you're going to tell me there's going to be a limitation of something. I swear, don't tell me because I'm crossing my arms like, what? (laughs) Statue of limitation. But my thinking was that because I'm continuing to pursue it and was able to get the assistant chief of police to agree to forensic testing, why isn't this still allowing this case to remain open? exactly there should be like some type of extension because it's an ongoing investigation and you know what i i read and found um that there are exceptions to stat certain statute of limitations because it wasn't like i was just sitting on my hands waiting on the police to come back to me i'm waiting on evidence to come back from this gun bullet exactly uh, but what they tried to tell me in that meeting on June the 17th, 2019, the chief tried to explain it away. Anytime a gun bullet is fired out of a chamber, that fire from uh, leaving that chamber destroys any evidence. But I have a female officer from another state that is called the Bardo uh, method to where biological DNA can be extracted from bullets, even yes. though they've been fired from a gun. I did. I actually did a, a paper report in high school in regards to that because goal was to be a forensic scientist when I graduated from high school. So I was dealing with ballistics. I was dealing mm-hmm. with the ballistics and forensic scientists. I was dealing with pathologists and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We are 27 years mm-hmm. now. And I, I'm yeah, mm-hmm. don't, don't play this game about, oh, this oh, can't yeah. be done. This can't be done. Mm-mm, please. And then once the cold case detective just decided that he wasn't going to do anything about the case, even though he sat across the table from me at the police headquarters to tell me July the 10th, 2019, once the assistant chief reassigned him to investigate Armani's case and remove the initial uh, homicide detective. I'm going to do everything I can and I'm going to re-interview this female perpetrator. I'm going to get it on video because I saw her previous interviews to where I could tell she was lying, you know. When I would ask him about it, he would tell me, well, I'm, I'm still going to look into it. I even asked the initial homicide detective and the cold case detective if they would please listen to the same sex partners, county jail phone calls and his state prison phone calls in hopes that he would say something about Armani's death that would lead us in the right direction. Never honored my request. It's going to take a long time to do it. OK, well, you have nothing but time. Mm-hmm. Why won't you look into it? You know, this is a family member asking you to do it, requesting you to do it. They've never done it. Mm, mm, And mm. so now that the Texas Rangers, I made a request for the Texas Rangers cold case unit to perform an investigative review of of Armani's case to reopen his case. 
And uh, what the Texas Ranger that was assigned to Armani's case did tell me was, he said, my Texas Ranger duty, daily duties is going to take precedence over Armani's case. I said, mm, I've heard that before. He said, I'm going to look into it in my spare time. So when is this spare time going to ever come about? Mm. So, so I'm back to square one. Mm-hmm. You know, that you I'm going to go to. Yeah, please. Oh, my gosh. Please don't mm-hmm. let this way your or or make you pivot on your heel. Mm-mm. Keep mm-hmm. keep going because mm-hmm. all these little obstacles that are being thrown at you, all these little barricades and all these excuses and all these these little BS moves and these mm-hmm. and this. Oh, my gosh. It's just exactly. Oh, my gosh. And then this was July the 10th of 2019. So mm-hmm. here we get to. January the 2nd, 2020. Mm. And I hadn't heard from him in between all that. I'm emailing and calling him, you know, and still he would tell me, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. And the day he did reach out to me and ask me if I would be available for a face-to-face meeting at police headquarters. And I'm like, yes, I am assuming that he's going to give me an update of something that he's been looking into. I get to police headquarters and I walk into an ambush meeting. It was uh, the cold case detectives and two of his new supervisors. Mm. Uh, One of the uh, supervisors was the supervisor of the homicide division. And this other uh, officer, uh, I don't know what role he played, you know, in in the uh, homicide division, but he was a high ranking officer as well. So these two gentlemen joined in the meeting. And as soon as I sit down at the conference room table, the homicide uh, supervisor just started berating me and started belittling me and telling me, you've been all over the police department. You've been meeting with this person and you've been meeting with this high ranking official about mm-hmm. Armani's case. And we wasted enough money on Armani at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to take a, a, a deep breath because at that point, all the air just was, was just sucked out of the room. And I was like, wasted enough money on Armani. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you, you visited with the assistant chief of police and now you have a meeting with the chief of police. And he said, they, they don't run this department. Okay, well, you're talking about the chief and the assistant chief of police. You said they don't run this department. They run you because you are underneath them. You know, and I was just like, wow. And he went on and on with this berating and belittling. And I sat there and I told him, I said, and, and I asked the cold case detective who was sitting right across in front of me. I said, well, have you interviewed uh, this female perpetrator yet? Because you assured me during our first meeting that you were going to do this and you were going to video. He said, no, I haven't. And I said, uh, okay. I said, well, have you even looked into listening to the same sex partners, date prison phone calls, his, his county jail phone calls? No, I haven't. And he was just, you know, short with me in this meeting. And I was just like, okay, so I see where this is going. And we had sat there 45 minutes by this time. And I said, okay, well, I see now what this meeting is all about. And uh, I've had enough. So I I stood up, grabbed my briefcase, and out the door I went. You know, I, I said nothing else. But I went home and I immediately prepared an internal affairs citizen complaint. Good. And Good. From, from what I was told, it was uh, last year, this homicide supervisor was relieved of his duties 
because of my complaint. My thing is, if you guys tell me that you're looking into this and you're looking at how is his 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 murder going to ever be solved if you guys don't actively pursue and do what you tell me you're going to do? Here I am thinking you're actively pursuing it when you're doing nothing. Mm. You're doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, what, what even upsets me is to tell you that they've wasted enough money on the case. Dude, I pay your your salary with our taxes. So mm-hmm. the longer you're going to take your time to do the investigation, that's on you. Mm-hmm. If you're not even lifting a finger to do anything and you just mm-hmm. let it sit there mm-hmm. and it's collecting, uh, you know, it's doing hourly time on how long it's taking y'all to, to lift up the folder and, and look into and actually do your job. Mm-hmm. That's on you. Mm-hmm. No one's mm-hmm. wasting no money on nobody. That's what he told me. I think me. the only thing is we're, we're wasting money is on your income. There because you, you want to keep sitting there and acting like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of that. Oh, yeah. And then just to kind of blow you up. No. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, as it stands, I filed three internal affairs complaints. And <laughs> that's what they're using against me. You know, they're they're holding that against me. But that's my right. Exactly. It is. Absolutely. That, you know, continue to be an uphill battle. And it's a challenge that I'm ready for. <laughs> and, and as I've said, telling me no is not going to deter me. And, and I keep telling them, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. As long as God continues to allow me to have breath in my body and I'm still in my right mind, you will continue to see me and hear from me. Yeah. One of, the, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I found out is like, when you tell a black woman, no, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, yeah. I, I got, let me go try this side row right here real quick. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me go back over here in this corner over here and see if I can maneuver around. We will find a way to make it work. We've learned to fight and struggle and deal with all these Mm -hmm. obstacles all our lives. Mm -hmm. All this being considered a marginalized and and being in a systemic racist Mm -hmm. society, how -hmm. we're being treated, how we looked upon. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, uh -uh. my -hmm. ancestors have have been doing this for centuries it's like literally embedded in our dna like you oh you want to play this trick Mm -hmm. okay well i got something for you because no means maybe yeah (laughs) no means uh watch me (laughs) and and i've asked repeatedly if the texas attorney general's newly formed cold case unit and the Texas Rangers cold case unit can simultaneously perform an investigative review of Armani's case. And what one of the deputy chiefs told me is that that would be considered stepping on the other agency's toes. And I was like, okay, FBI investigate things all the time when another agency is, is, is doing something simultaneously. So why can't two different entities investigate his case at the same time? I don't see the harm in that. Another excuse. I'm sorry. But they, they won't they won't respond to my my direct request and question, you know, about it. But uh I'm not gonna stop asking about it. Doing something that he always dreamed of, which was having his own beauty shop. He loved doing hair, 
love doing hair and fashion. I can just see it now, a grand opening, him doing a grand opening at, at his hair studio. He would do these female associates of, of his, he would even do their hair. Would always want to put together an outfit for everybody. He would even try to dress his mom all the time. <laughs> he would tell her, he said, now, that was back in your day. He said, but well, you need to come up to date with, with this fashion. And he would even purchase outfits for her. And I mean, beautiful clothes. And I tell her, he said, now, next time I see you, you need to be wearing this, you know. And like I said, you, he taught himself, you know, being around us, older aunts and his grandmother, my mother, watching us cook, he paid attention. And, and, and you could tell he was practicing because when we would all come together during these holidays and he would bring out something he cooked, ooh, it was good, you know. So that that's what he would be doing if he, if he was here today. That's what we would be doing, celebrating him accomplishing his dream, uh, establishing his own business, you know, doing hair. Well, that was his his first love, and fashion was the next, and then cooking. And the fact that his mom is not in the mental state to fight, you know, and my youngest daughter went as far as she could. She said, Mom, she said, they're just ignoring me, and I'm taking off work down here, risking my job, you know, taking off going down here, and they're just giving me the runaround. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take it over you know, at this point, because uh, I, I'm a whole nother person, <laughs> you know, you just can't tell me something, expect for me to go away. You're going to have to give me the facts. I would be remiss if I, you know, wouldn't continue to push forward because, you know, this is a, a another piece of me, you know, that's missing, even though he's not my biological son, it's still my blood. And the fact that his mom is not a mental space to fight for her son, you know, uh, it's heartbreaking to actually see her, you know, uh, wearing this grief, you know, this, this grief has just really changed her physically. And, and it's hard to watch every day. It's, it's just hard to see. Not only that, my, my youngest daughter, you know, she always thought that she was Armani's mom instead of his cousin. And, you know, and it was like they were more sisters and brothers than, than first cousins because she's just a year older than he is. And what well, we, we wouldn't say a year older because before she would actually turn another full year, Armani was turning the same age. They would be the same age before the end of the year would change. You know, but his his birthday is December the 19th. So and, uh, you know, my my oldest daughter, uh, who is five years older than my youngest daughter, her birthday is the same day, you know, as our money. So it's always bittersweet, you know, oh, wow. uh, when, when their birthdays roll around. And it's just like six days before Christmas. And it's just like, you know, it, it's hard to actually celebrate. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, her birthday, but you don't want to rob her of that, you know, opportunity as well. So we, we've had to, you know, just figure out ways to be able to, to cope, you know, but still be able to celebrate her birthday because, you know, she, she's still here and, you know, they all had a bond together because I always had them all together. It was more like they were all siblings versus, you know, first cousins, because when where you would see one, you would see my two and then you would see my other niece and then Armani. So I had four children with me at all times, wow. you know. 
So, you know, in, in not only that, the relationship between Armani and I, you know, I, I helped to raise him. It's a void for me. Yeah. You know, just watching the grief on his mom's face. She's she's just her whole physical appearance has changed because she's wearing that grief like a suit of armor, you mm. know, and it's just it's just hard to see some days. I don't take what's going on lightly, you know, know. And, and for granted, because today is today, but tomorrow can be something totally different, you know, in any of our situations, just to, just to watch her go through it. And then she, some days, uh, you know, you can tell when she's trying to be happy and upbeat, but it's really not there. Hmm. And uh, I can tell you, Jasmine, for the longest of time until her almost recently, she went to that cemetery every day, seven days a week. And, and like I said, we don't know, you know, what her thoughts are because she's not voicing it, you know, and, and she's internalizing it and you can see it because it's, it's showing physically, mm. you know, and it's, you know, my heart just, just breaks for her because you just never know what she's thinking because she's not saying it. Mm. She's just wearing that grief. Mm -hmm. And mm. for her that to have been her only child, you know, is is I, I can't even imagine how she feels. So you know, I do as much for her as she will let me do. Right. You know, mm. then you know I have to back you know away too to give her her personal space. You know to allow her that that time because I don't want to always be on top of her because I wouldn't want anybody to do it to me. Mm -hmm. Not to be on top of her, but at least an arm's length away mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. even though I'm the only child as well, so I'm just thinking of that, the process, like what would happen if my mother, like mm -hmm. this is how we should be thinking, like what would mm -hmm. happen if this was my child? What would happen mm -hmm. if this was my brother, my sister, mm -hmm. my loved, you know, my husband, my aunt, my uncle, whatever. Mm -hmm. y'all need mm -hmm. to think like this 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 you think it has nothing to do and this has no way to phase you in in any shape or form because it's in a different community it's in a mm -hmm. different stage if it's a different scenario it's a mm -hmm. different you know whatever is the case may be no no yeah. we're all connected mm -hmm. this should affect you as if it is happening to you right now mm-hmm take the consideration and respect that like this is human life this is a mm -hmm. loved one you know that's the whole the parent parental thing is like mm -hmm. the parent is supposed to die before the child mm -hmm. not the other way around mm -hmm. and it seemed mm -hmm. like it's been happening more and more and yes. more mm -hmm. it's oh, mm -hmm. it's overwhelming and, and the fact that we are humans first before we are anything else exactly. you know in their disregard for human life is it, it says a lot about you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if you disregard my life as a human then what do you want how do you want to be treated exactly you know The, the people responsible for, for his death, these were people that he knew. And, and, and it's evident because of where they dumped him. They dumped him a few feet away from the apartment where he lived. When I say a few feet, I mean a few feet. And where his body was 
was lying and in in decaying up under this 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 huge tree in this bush line. It, it rained so much in between the time he was missing and to when his remains were unexpectedly discovered. Mm. Uh, the the few real bones and the one long bone and his purse were embedded in the soil mm. underneath this huge tree. And but his clothing was scattered amongst this vacant field, mm-hmm. you know, and you could see rips and tears in the clothing. And I would always ask, OK, well, were the clothing tested and never received a response? Mm. And uh, right today, um, the homicide division has no idea that I actually have the crime scene photos mm. in my possession. Good. What? angers me the most is that they did not treat his crime scene in a professional manner. They had no evidence markers. What they did do was lay out a blue plastic tarp of some kind and just just haphazardly picking up trash from the street and just dumped his remains in, in a pile on the, onto this blue tarp, the few bones that they, they were able to, to collect. I mean, his skull was found laying alongside the edge of the street. And one of his long bones was found laying in the middle of the road. And the other few real bones and another long bone was embedded in the soil up underneath, underneath that big tree line. But again, his purse, the some of the mm. items from his purse were strolled about. The hairbrush that he always used to brush his hair was mm. strolled about. And like I said, his clothing, the short pants and the top that he was last seen wearing when he was alive it just, it was shredded. Don't know what actually caused the rips and tears in it, but the, the clothing was rather weather rotted, you know, from where it had rained and the weather changed and got dry and, you know, but it was just, but they all just, they picked it up and just piled it in one pile on this blue tarp, no you know? Respect. No yes, respect. Exactly. Oh and you said that it was literally, they found his remains like a skip and a hop and a jump from where he recited. Mm -hmm. Are you able to express uh, exactly where this all happened? Or are you trying to keep that closer to the chest in regards to investigation? It was was Balch in the, in the street name is spelled B-A-L-C-H road. And the cross street is Wilhurt Avenue, which is Wilhurt Avenue is the street that the apartment complex is on. Mm, okay okay sorry about that I just a didn't... few feet from where he lived mm. Mm. in a vacant field underneath this huge tree so the people that dumped him there knew exactly what they were doing knew exactly what they were doing and 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 that further lets us know that these were people that knew him mm-hmm. and wanted to make a statement by dumping him there what kind of, I mean, I'm just thinking my mind's racing now. Like, what kind of statement are they trying to make? Like, you know, just... uh, to let us know that, that, you know, these were people that he weren't afraid of and associated himself with on a regular basis, hmm. you know, for them to, to, to dump him there, you know, so close to home. That's a statement if one was ever going to be made. Yeah. You know? I'm just thinking like, all I could think of is these people didn't give Mm-mm. two rats about their respect in talking about this fake friendship that they wanted to mm-hmm. c- 
continue on with Armani. Mm-hmm. Like to me, what they did and how mm-hmm. they left him there, mm-hmm. right by where he resided, where they mm-hmm. lived, mm-hmm. to me, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find the proper words without cursing because I have a sailor mouth. If you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't heard, uh, I, I will start doing all of that. So um, low lifes, no yes. good for nothing, mm-hmm. fake, mm-hmm. bleepity bleeps. Um, mm-hmm. Shame, shameless, no respect for themselves, no respect for life, no respect for Armani, no respect Mm -hmm. for his family, no respect Mm -hmm. for they can't stand the way they breathe, they can't stand the way they they woke up that morning, they can't stand the job that they have, they can't stand Mm -hmm. how they, you know, the clothes that they got on their back and the food Mm -hmm. that is on their plate. Like they probably just hate life in general. The way they treated life, Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Armani. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Look how karma came back mm. and delivered a little piece of justice when the co-perpetrator was involved in additional crimes, and someone did the same thing to him that he did to Armani. Mm. Mm, tell me more. <laughs> you, you know, and and when I found out about uh, this perpetrator's uh, passing again from the people in the streets. Mm, uh, like I said, 90% of what our family was told from people in the street panned out to be true. And when I uh, received a text message telling me that this particular perpetrator had been shot and killed, I reached out to the assistant chief of police at that time. I reached out to his assistant, who was always in constant direct contact with me whenever I w- wanted to get a meeting with the assistant chief of police before he left the Dallas police department, I would go through her. She and I text each other, you know, uh, via the cell phone. And I reached out to her and I asked her, I said, well, I heard that this person was, was shot and killed. Can you confirm this for me? And she said, well, no, I can't confirm it for you at this time. I said, okay, well, no need to. I go to the funeral website (laughs) and there it was, you know, you don't have to confirm it. It's confirmed already, Mm. you know, because the pictures that I had forwarded to the Dallas Police Homicide Division of this particular person was the photo that they used for his obituary. Ain't that bother? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, you found and, a way around it. Like, there's a will, there's a way. Oh, you mm-hmm. want to play this game of uh, no comment? I can't mm-hmm. give you that information. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me go look at the obits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's already factual for... right. <laughs> people on the streets to be even bringing it to me in the first place right it's not like he hadn't been identified already exactly like why are you blocking me why are you blocking me just let me pass because you know i'm gonna find a way stop blocking because when i provided his his name to the initial homicide detective i didn't have his legal name all i had was the street name that he he was going by but they knew his name yeah but they never told me Mm. And uh, believe it or not, Jasmine, when I made the open records request at the Dallas Police Department for a copy of Armani's entire file, once they told me they were no longer going to investigate his case, I said, okay, well, they should be willing to give me all of the records that I'm asking for if they're no longer going to investigate the case and it's considered a cold case. So I made the request and the information that I received back 
that was supposed to be the initial homicide detective's homicide uh, narrative notes, non-existent. Hmm. It, it was pieces of copy paper with chicken scratch going up one side, down one side. I mean, just very few pages. You know, he would put a date and a time here and say he spoke to this person. He had my name written down, Robin Johnson, but no notes or no facts or anything, you know, around my name and <laughs> had my youngest daughter's name written down and had a date and a time, but no nothing else about what he actually did. That sounds like they were just taking notes with you. Either you were on the phone with them or <clears> they, <throat> you were in that little conference with them or something and just chicken <clears throat> scratch everything and thought that was that was just done. <clears throat> and no, thought it was never going to come up. Yeah, you have the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. You, you have your rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that they did not give me his entire file, copy of his entire file. I can tell you that for sure. Oh, oh for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the Texas Ranger did tell me, I reached out to his supervisor once I was told that the Texas Ranger had met with the assistant chief of police before he left the Dallas Police Department. And he was supposed to be meeting them at that point to obtain a copy of Armani's file in order for him to perform his investigative review. So once I reached out to his supervisor, Texas Ranger, he emailed me back and told me that he would have the Texas Ranger to contact me via email. And then this way I would have a direct communication with this with this person. And so the the Texas Ranger did email me. It was December of 2021. And he let me know. He said, I did meet with the assistant chief of police in February of this year. He said, I was supposed to have obtained our money, a copy of our money's entire file in February. He said, but I did not get it until the day before Thanksgiving of 2021. So he didn't get it as, as the Dallas police told me. They told me he had it in February. But through his personal email, he told me I did not obtain his records until the day before Thanksgiving 2021. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. like almost two years? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, you know, uh, he said, and now that I have it, mm. it's going to take me a while to go through it. He said, because it's a big file, a huge file. Mm. So that tells me that they didn't give me everything. If he has a huge file, what I have is not a huge file. Mm. Anytime I want him to know something, I, I tell him, I, I, I emailed the Texas Ranger and I said, well, I've requested that uh, Dallas Homicide Division obtain a copy of this perpetrator's county jail phone calls and his state prison phone calls to obtain information that's going to be helpful to our bunny's case. They failed to do it. Hopefully you will. Right. You know, so and, they're they're so they're doing what they what Dallas police were supposed to be doing. So someone's <laughs> actually on the case currently, but it's a slow process. Yes. Oh, yes. Lord. Yes. And who knows how long that's going to drag out? Because he did tell me that his duties take precedence over him actually performing his investigative review of Armani's case, yeah. which is why I requested that they please allow the Texas Attorney General's newly formed cold case unit to actually, you know, perform an investigative review as well. Right, right. You know, and uh, because I've actually communicated with this person and she told me, she said, well, 
we would have to get permission through law enforcement, you know, get the request from them and not from you, which is just what happened with the Texas Rangers. So that supervisor in Texas Rangers told me, he said, we don't take requests from family members and citizens. We have to get the request from law enforcement. So I said, okay, well, I got a direct line to the assistant uh, chief of police. Let me contact him and ask him, will he do it? Yeah, done and done, Robin. <laughs> done and done, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing on it yes, uh, to, to get them to agree or just tell me they're not going to do it. Just tell if you're not going to do it, tell me you're not going to do it. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? There's someone out there that knows something, say something. And despite all the time that passed by and you haven't come forward, we totally understand. But still, there's that window of opportunity. Come forward, give the information that you know. It could be the littlest thing that could just break this case wide open. So, you know, we just want any of the listeners, um, you know, on their platforms because, you know, I, I don't have access to Facebook and Twitter and, you know, I'm just not active on those platforms and those uh, sites. And if I was able to have one, I think with all of the rhetoric you have to uh, weed through, you know, what everybody's given their personal opinions and different. I, I don't think that I could mentally handle that part of it based upon everything that I'm having to face with, with fighting, you know, with, with the entity that's actually supposed to be on my side, which is law enforcement versus me fighting against them. But uh, yeah, I, w- I would love for uh, anybody listening to this podcast uh, to, you know, if they're here in Texas, um, you know, have information to please say something. You know, because um, we need justice for our money. He he didn't deserve what happened to him, and and especially to to dump him near home. But I want to thank you for this opportunity, and uh, I will be getting a copy of that um, Crime Stopper flyer that I created uh, yes. to you. And yes. if you don't mind posting it, you know, any way you can on either in all of your platforms and. Uh, I would certainly appreciate it. But um, the fact that I've actually made it to this point to actually be able to speak with you on your uh, podcast, this is a step in the right direction, something I've been trying to accomplish for over these past five years. And I've finally made it, you know, lets me know that I need to keep going. You know, I have to keep going, you know, because I've made it this far. I never would have seen myself making it this far but because you know i'm continuing to fight and and that opportunity to do the documentary it'll come mm-hmm. it'll come you know and uh, i'm not going to give up on that uh either M- hopefully my story will help someone else oh for sure absolutely yeah absolutely Don't give I, up. never no, give up i am so glad to be in your presence because mm-hmm. you just mm. Mm-hmm. let someone else know be your yes thank you yep 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 mm-hmm. exactly and i'm glad i think this just it just came to a point where it just this was meant to happen at this moment like you said the lord has has it all mm-hmm. the timeline is already set yes 
this was meant to happen. And yes. I, I hope that this propels you in the, mm -hmm. in the direction that you're needing to go because mm -mm, don't stop. Today, Armani's case has continued to be unsolved, even cold for the past five years. The family is devastated and heartbroken as they continue grieving Armani's tragic death. They'd love and miss Armani's beautiful smile. It's still extremely painful and upsetting that they never get the opportunity to see Armani and say a proper goodbye because his body was skeletonized. Law enforcement has falsely insinuated that Armani's death was an accident, but his family is pleading for help to get answers about his gruesome death. If someone knows something, please say something. If you have any information regarding Armani's case, please contact the Dallas Police Department Special Investigation Unit at 214-671-3677 or North Texas Crime Stoppers at 877-373-8477. That's 877-373-TIPS. You can also submit your tip anonymously through their online tip form. We are voiceless no more. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.